Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Miracles in Recovery. It is December 4th. Wow. And I have Ellen in the studio with me. Hi, Ellen. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Give me a little quick update. I know that we have... Um, we bought a house. Success. We moved into the house, sort of. It needs a lot of work, which is going to have to be done on top of us, but at least we have a home again. It's been, yeah, it's too bad that you couldn't couldn't have gotten it done and walked yeah, in nice and fresh. It would have been a lot easier to do it and then move in, but... Why would you make it think it would work that way? You know what I mean. <laughs> well, the last one it did, so this this time it just didn't work out. But well, the last one was twenty. No, it was sixteen years. Sixteen. Yeah. Well, it was four years off. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, unpacking all the stuff that's been packed up for five or six months is weird. Right. You know, I'd forgotten some of the stuff that I had. Some of it, I'm like, why did I not just get rid of it? Yeah, I guess that's. I walk out into the garage and say that about the clothes that are on the floor that haven't been in the washing machine yet. So, it's, it's <laughs> very strange how you can not need stuff that you thought you needed. I have a lot of that. So, well, I want to uh, keep the number out. It's eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. That's eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. Call in. Be part of the solution. Tonight, I guess we're just going to wing it. And um, I was looking at an article by ABC News. It says, take all their excuses away. Hard cases in heroin fight. And then the story was out. The van was coming for Richard Vera, but it was taking a long time. He waited inside the St. Anthony Hospital, where he had spent the last three days getting off heroin. Yeah, like that's a lot. Like that's enough time. That's going to work right. His next stop, a sober living facility. As his addiction counselor, Deval Williams kept a silent watch. The 49-year-old Rivera griped about the people who found him a bed 22 miles away, complete with meals, job training, and gym access. They couldn't find me a place closer, he grumbled. I'll stop there. That is... That <laughs> I would is, like to find a place with meals, a room, and a gym. Y- yes, today. But being an, being an active active addict still because you've only, he's only been in abstinence for three days, right. uh, seventy two hours at the most. Um, there's no mindset change. There's nothing that changed. Right. So you're gonna take me twenty two miles out of my uncomfort uncomfort zone, even though you know what I mean that so comfortable being uncomfortable. I was comfortable hanging in the park that I hung in. And if and if I had to go hang around the park up the north end, out of my comfort zone. So you didn't go up there. No. Well, why would I want to go there? Well, there might be something different and interesting there. I doubt it. <laughs> I just I'm trying to understand yeah, the mindset. Yeah, there is no mindset. Yeah. It's, it's it's um, you know the um. The emotional terrorism that we we put on, you know, and we well, now we need this, now we need that. Oh, I'm clean now, and I'm doing something. You need to do something for me. When I got when I got clean the the last time, um, February twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine, I was in a um, 
facility for 33 days. Detox was a little bit different then. We got to stay. It was 20- actually rehab. Or what we well, think of as rehab now? What we think of as rehab today. It was detox because then re- then it was a rehab after. Right. Um, and insurance paid for the 28 to 33 days. Right. Countless times until... <laughs> until you, know, you finally got it. Yeah. Uh, or not. So I remember coming out and going right back to the same corner and saying, Hey guys, I'm clean. How long did that last? 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the most, you know, I think I got a day or two, um, and that was only because it was raining and no one was out, you know, so I think, I I totally understand this guy's mindset saying they can be 22 miles away, I mean, look at it now, you jump a bus for 70 cents and you get the 22 miles, you go up to the other end of the city, but to go from one end of the city to another, out of my comfort element, that was a good excuse for me to use to harbor using. Okay, if, if I don't like this, I'm going to run and go get high. And you're never going to like it because what you really want to do you is make yourself, get yeah, make yourself not like it. So that's why I'm saying that, you know, I couldn't they find a place closer? I remember, and, and I've spoken to people um, that I've gotten into, you know, programs, and they go, isn't there anything near here? No, I mean, do you really want this? Do you do you want it, or do you want to jerk around? And right. that, that's the that's the thing. Like, but um, and why be close to the place where you were doing what you were doing that got you into the situation that you're in? Because that's where you're most comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And how can you be comfortable being that way? You know, yeah. as, as a person. Well, who you know, it's funny. I, I'm, you know, it, it, I guess it all goes back to you know the bucking of clarity. Yeah. Even yesterday, Dave, yesterday or the day before, I ran into, uh, I got some gas, and right on the counter there were those um, Swedish fish in the box. Yes. So I grabbed one, and I opened it up, and I looked at, I, I was going to open it up, and it said, open other end. So I spun the box around, and I went, wait a minute, Swedish fish aren't going to tell me what to do, and I spun it back <laughs> And I opened up the box, and after I did it, I had to giggle because, like, that was me still doing what I'm, yeah. Not, not, not that it really makes a difference, but, I mean, it was just that little thing of don't tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. So this is where this gentleman's mindset is. I want to do it the way that I want to do it, even though I don't know how to do it, you know? So um, anyway, let's see. Let's see what goes on here. Hopefully it's uh, successful. Would very get into the van, Williams wondered. Or would he walk away? Long before President Trump declared the opioid crisis a national emergency and pledged to overcome addiction in America, Williams was fighting in the trenches where it's tough to tell victory from defeat, which is true. More than 64,000 died of drug overdoses last year in the U.S., most from opioids, 64,000. No, I think it's about twice that. Yeah, well, I guess those are, those are the ones that are probably clinically declared. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's so many others that were, you know, like secondary well, illnesses. Or, or you get a mixture or, of different drugs, yeah. and how do you blame it on which one? Yeah, but, uh-huh. yeah I think it's probably twice that number at, at least. At 41, he's been a counselor for two decades, the last few years helping people with drug addiction. Now he runs a new program that works to get hospital patients struggling with opioid opioids directly into treatment. Similar programs called Warm Handoffs 
have been shown by early research to decrease the chance of relapse. Huh. Funding comes from the last from last year's 21st Century Cures Act, which set aside one billion dollars to tackle the deadliest drug crisis in the U.S. history. Illinois is spending 2.4 million dollars. Uh, for warm handoff programs at St. Anthony and eight other hospitals. So I guess there's a there's a, a new effort out there to get them right from when they're hospitalized to a clean environment. Hospitalized, meaning they overdosed, they were brought to a, a hospital? Probably, More yeah. than likely. Yeah, because I think, I think what happens when you're, I mean, what it used to be was as soon as you were awake and you could sign a piece of paper, you Yeah, ran. you were out there. But... I don't know if they have like a uh, a mandatory seventy two hours because it said that he was they, there for three days. They do not here in Florida for no. sure, and most other states don't because most of these people don't have insurance, and the hospitals are treating them for free, and mm-hmm. they want to get them out as quickly as possible because it's a it's a losing proposition financially. So as soon as they're stable, they're gone. Yeah, well, I guess so. So then, so then it's and the same some thing. Of them, Maybe honestly. I have heard stories about some people coming back two and three times on the same night yeah. overdosing because they go back to wherever they got this great drug and do it again. Yeah, and, and, and I can totally understand that. I get that. That would, that would be me. I would raise my hand to that. Um, only because, you know, you, you're so sick that you don't have one common sense and two a care. And well, and I think get- too because they probably give you naloxone or some one of the you know mm-hmm. Narcan, one of the drugs that it wipes blocks you right the receptors. System, yeah. yeah, you you're very sick. You go into immediate withdrawal. So the first yeah. thing they want to do is get out and get more drugs. So, so you're more apt. To, you're more apt to overdose when you're like that. Yeah, because you because you want to get level so quick that it doesn't make a difference. Right. What you yeah. I don't care what you know. Yeah. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just got to have something now. Yeah. Which is which is a you know a sad place to be, but I mean it, you know that that's the vicious cycle of it. But I guess you know I guess you gotta um, give them kudos that they're trying a different aspect, so that they're not just putting these people out on the street to let them run. Right. They're trying to get them to a sober living facility like this, like gentleman was uh, was going towards. But I wonder um, if he doesn't need a higher level of care before going to a facility like that. That well, would be well, the scary I think, thing. I for think me. I want to say, well, you know, we're we're talking about sober I mean, are we houses, and about I have a sober house. A, I have or, a crap idea of sober houses. Yeah. They're, they're just that's garbage. But this may be something where they have. Um, Rivera arrived here on a Saturday, sick from heroin withdrawal. He got hooked on heroin two years ago when a friend asked him to help sell it. I started little by little, he recalled. Three days later, I'm a junkie. Boom, there you go. Mm-hmm. Doesn't and, take long. And physically, probably no. Mentally, I, I, I can totally relate to that. The first time I got high, I was I was hooked, and it wasn't because I was physically a... Uh, um, I, I physically rejected it. I got sick as hell. Yeah, but you but liked the way it made you feel. Mentally, I was I was there, and I was gonna I was gonna put up with whatever it took to get to the other side. His so public it's like health, Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. His public health insurance would cover three days in the hospital, hospital's new medical detox unit. Okay, on the sixth floor, Rivera would receive methadone to erase his nausea, cramps, and shaking legs, and he would meet with Williams. So he had already had access to the counselor at this right and he'd made yeah. it sounds like he'd made the decision to try to stop yeah yeah it wasn't like he was brought in on a gurney yeah. and yeah 
Uh, part of the three-person team, William sees any patient who will talk with him. He and his colleagues coach, listen, and attempt to match people with addiction treatment in the community. They track patients after they leave the hospital, offering treatment to those who said no in the past and following the, follow their progress of patients in recovery. So I guess these people must work for the hospital. This must be a, a grant that the hospital got. In order to be able I to. I bet it is. There was yeah. something similar that they were trying to do in South Florida where, you know, if a per- and this was for overdose patients, mm-hmm. if they would agree to it, they they were sent home, but they were sent home with a therapist, a first responder, and I think a police officer coming yeah. to their home every single day and administering Suboxone and doing counseling. And they would do that for, I think, up to a month before they allowed them to take the Suboxone on their own. And it was working, but for some reason they shut it down. I think it had to do with the funding. Probably, yeah. But it it was successful. It was a great idea. No, all, but you, you know, you it's to, terribly you, expensive, and you got you know you you're taking up first responder time, police well, time. Because everyone's on a detail at that point. You can't take somebody out of a out of a fire station or an EMT or something right. like that. Take them out of fire station off a piece to have them go visit a house. So, you, so they somebody's had to hire, on overtime. Had to yeah. hire special people yeah. to do that, and the taxpayers don't want to pay for that yeah. if no, they that don't understand how it works. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the long run, you're actually saving money because you're not having somebody bleeding the hospital dry, bleeding your county's EMTs and all that, that whole system dry, the jails, all of it. You know, it's cheaper to save a life in the long run, Mm -hmm. even though it looks like, you know, oh, here we are coddling the addicts again. We're not. We're really saving them by doing this. Right. Trying to to steer them out of their own way. If it's used appropriately, Suboxone can work miracles. And, you know, I've seen it personally. You know, in my own family, and I've I've seen it with other people as well. You know, just miracles, total and complete miracles. You know, a kid who was overdosing almost every night to now he's living a normal life. He's right. got a job, mm-hmm. and and it and, happened within you know a month or two of like starting what, to take um, it. What Dr. Boyette said. If all it takes is that little pill to get that yeah. person a normal life, then so be it. And and eventually you know? the thinking kind of turns around when you start realizing that yes, I can relate well, in an everyday way. And, and I think it's the the most important thing in that equation isn't what I think. It's what the person that's taking the suboxone thinks right. because because sooner or later it's going to click that all I need to do is this and I'm a productive member of society again, all of that other noise just falls away. You know, like when I when I ultimately made the choice to stay clean, I was still carrying serious baggage. Right. And slowly but surely, all that noise just subsided. And when I saw somebody that um, I crossed the street from weeks before because I still wasn't sure about what I wanted to do, I was okay with that. I didn't. I didn't have to hide anymore. Right. So you know? the shame, I think, eventually kind of abates a yeah, little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I think I think the greatest thing at that point is the the freedom of choice at that point because I really I was hanging, hanging, hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, and I really didn't have choice at that point because if I let go, I would have ran. Yeah. And the freedom of personal surrender was 
so so um, spectacular at that point. I still really didn't know who or how or what I was going to be, but I did know that I didn't want to be who I brought in the door. And a few short weeks prior, I was still embracing that individual. So, you know, I can I can get him saying 72 hours clean or 72 hours abstinent. He's not even in the system, you know what I mean, mentally anyway. Um, they're taking me 22 miles away? What? <laughs> you know? Oh, I sent my daughter all across the country. Right. You know, I mean, I Boston, drove to you know, California, yeah. Minnesota, Georgia, Florida, everywhere. 22 miles. Look at 22 miles in your mind. Um, probably from where you drove, from where your house yeah, is, yeah, right? Yeah. It's That's not far at all. No. But in an addict's mind, out of his own or her yeah, own I resources. Can go and get what I need. Way, way, way. I, I'm, I'm firing, man. I'm in California. You know. Um, yeah, but you guys then can eventually, not eventually, pretty quickly find what you need wherever you are. Very, very. But it's the fear of the unknown. Ah, uh, yeah. You well, know? we all have and, that. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess to a certain extent. I mean, I still. I, I don't know if it's the fear of the unknown for me anymore. I think it's more. Uh, um, like an apprehension in the sense of not fear, but like, okay, what's going to happen when I walk in this room? I, everybody has that, oh, I yeah. think, you know? Yeah. Um, a little bit of stage fright, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, we have one minute left, so I'll just say this real quick. Brendan was on, on uh, doing playing the saxophone Saturday night for a, a party for the church, and I could see that he was sitting up there and he was getting very apprehensive. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't, he was like, he couldn't uh, lick his lips and, and he has to play a saxophone. He has yeah. to be wet. So I asked, I kind of like notion for water and he was like, because it was going to come back up. Yeah. You know? yeah. He was like, no. Bless his heart. He did such a good job. Yeah, no, he did. He did terrific. So, hey, if you want to give us a call, dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. We'll be back in a moment. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today, with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Like many of us, do you feel constantly tired or run down? Weight gain, sugar addiction, stress, and other health issues wear down our bodies and our spirits. You can take control of these and get yourself back on track. Tune into Living Life Naturally with host Lynn Wadsworth. Lynn can help you lower or get rid of migraines, help you maintain a healthy weight, deal with hormone imbalances, and more. Listen live every Friday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What does health look like in an ailing world? How do we tend what needs our care? 
Join Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio hosts each week as we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, welcome back to the second segment. Uh, dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. I know we have listeners out there. I don't know why you're not picking up the phone and calling. Yeah, give us a call. We'd love to hear your story. Love to hear what's going on in your life. Maybe we can help. Yeah, be part of the solution. I mean, we were talking about... Um, you know, newly clean people, and we were talking about all the other isms that follow active addiction. And I'm sure that somebody is out there that can relate to what either we're say we said in the last segment or weeks prior. Um, I have to tell you, somebody told me that isms is actually an acronym. I did not know that. I thought it was like the end of alcoholism, but it's I self me. That's what ism stands. stands who, who, who are you talking to, Gary Busey? it sounds like something you would say doesn't no it was somebody on facebook i had posted something and they came back with that and i was like wow but that's true you know in the in the heart of of hearts of an addict it's all about me me because i've got to have i've got to have what i've got to have and nothing's going to stop me Mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting i just threw that in as an aside because i had never heard that before here's a strange here's a strange article that i just popped on I have um, Google alerts sent and yeah. certain keywords. This one was sober living. Okay. This article is from Dayton, Ohio. Sober living facility hopes to expand with Christmas sales. What? what? I don't know. What are they going to say? Lo- I don't know. <laughs> A local sober living facility needs your help to expand. Good Shepherd Ministries is helping people overcome addiction thanks to a special holiday sale. Uh, Good Shepherd Ministries helps addicts recover and get back on their feet, but for the first time, clients are raising money, oh, through a Christmas tree fundraiser to expand oh, their services. That's pretty cool, yeah, right? They, yeah, cool. I think that I think that works. I mean, you know, you and and one, you're taking the gentleman from the conversation in the first segment and giving him something to do and, right. and making him a productive member of the... That people are going to appreciate. ...in the environment that he's in. Yeah. Um, there's a few organizations here that do that. And 
get you know like they they do carpentry work they cut grass mm-hmm. they so so the ministry or summer living um company generates money i don't know what they do with that money i don't know if they did they're looking to expand their facility or what but they at least have their uh population out there as productive members of society cutting someone's lawn getting getting some recognition or uh fair market value for what it is that they're doing which is much better than standing on the street corner trying to do what you're trying to do you know yeah yeah yeah, I mean. Although I think some of the the sober livings that are in subdivisions, you know, like we've talked about in weeks past, where somebody bought up a bunch of houses and they're getting them paid for by stuffing them full of addicts. The other neighbors yeah. are angry because you've got all these trucks, the landscaping stuff, and the landscaping trucks are, I have to admit, a little irritating to get behind. But you know, they've got them pulled up in the yard. They've got signs everywhere, and they're thinking that it makes their neighborhood look bad. But when you think about it, if this is helping people, yeah, the but, but you, you do need you you probably do need to do it as discreet as right. you but, know, and apparently yeah. a lot of them are not because yeah. advertising is advertising, right? The neighborhood that we just moved into, you cannot have a truck in the neighborhood that's yours that has advertising on it. You know, obviously the landscapers and the the various types of workers come in and out but you can't have one in your driveway all right let's flip this like totally to something different i was scanning through the google apps and it says smartphone addiction creates imbalance in brain i believe that i i had told you yesterday 25 years ago the first tweet uh the first text was sent right so 25 years really isn't that long ago and um, today, I was with my granddaughter, and I had my phone on the counter, and I, something popped on my phone, and I looked at it, and she grabbed me right by the leg, like she knew yeah. that I was paying too much attention to the phone. To the phone instead of her. Yeah. So she grabbed me right by the leg and started walking, and I dropped the phone, and, and she was like, annoying, annoying, oh, she said that. annoying, Papa, annoying. Yeah. So everybody's annoying to her now. But uh, but so even a child, a two-year-old, saw that I was paying attention to my phone and not her. Right. Well, you, got, kinda, you walk into a room, and everybody has got the, the phone in their hands, and yeah. they're looking at the phone. They're not talking to each other. Or, or even if they're talking, they're not looking at each other. There's no... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird. There's a circle of people. I mean, my mother even commented on it because she was doing it, too. We were sitting yeah. in her living room. We've all got our phones out. There were five or six of us, yeah. including her. Crazy, right? And, she's you know, 80... we're all doing 88. Yeah. And she's, she's looking at her iPhone, yeah. checking her Facebook feed. That's she crazy, does. right? Yeah. Yeah, but, but uh, you know, her but, email and stuff, that's how she keeps up yeah, with everybody. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, that's the I don't know if that's the imbalance they're talking about. Researchers have found an imbalance in the brain chemistry of young people. Okay, cool. We're good then. Okay, we're fine. <laughs> we didn't have addicted, to back then. Addicted to smartphones and the internet, according to a study presented today by the at the annual meeting of Radiological Society of North America. According to a recent Pew Research Center study, 46% of Americans say they could not live without their smartphones. How how better 
of a world would we be in? I know everybody's going to go like, yeah, yeah. How better of a world would we be in if we had to put a dime in our pocket and stop at a phone booth in order to make a call no, again? That's, what it, that's the way it used to be. Oh. But I'll tell you, I'll drag mine around the house with me. I can't yeah. even let it be out of my sight. No, I, 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 I might yeah. miss something. Yeah, and that's and that's sad. It when is you, sad. Yeah, like when when a phone becomes priority over people. Nature, communication. Life. Yeah, yeah. It's a c- communication device, but it, but you're only communicating with it. Well, yeah, it's kind of virtual communication. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the the people aren't around you; they're somewhere else. They may not even be real. Hmm. There's there's so much of that out there, and you also get something called tech neck, which I think I have. It's because you hold your head at a certain angle, you get wrinkles in your neck. But you probably <laughs> you probably um, that's probably from work too, because you yeah, work. Well, on a, I, yeah, well, yeah, I, I sit and work looking at monitors all day, and I have since yeah. 1984. Yeah. But yeah, tech neck is a real thing. Let me tell you. It's funny you sit and look at a monitor all day for work, and and after work you look at a monitor in your hand. Well, I look at the, I look yeah. at the one in my hand too while I'm at yeah. work. I've yeah, got yeah, two yeah. monitors. Yeah. I've got two Everybody phones. Does. I'm looking at all actually three Everybody monitors, does. two it's phones. Nuts. I'm looking at everything. Yeah, you walk walk around Publix. I was I went over before and everybody's it's everybody's crazy. Looking, hey, yeah. You stopped at a stoplight looking at your phone. What'd you miss? Because you didn't yeah. want to hold your phone. I mean, some people do. How many times you gonna beep the horn? People beep the horn yeah. at me because I'm because yeah, I'm cause doing something silly your, on my checking phone. Checking your email. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, and and if it if it was taken away. I think, like, if if it was restricted and couldn't leave the house, so we still had the technology here, it would be great. Right. Um, if if it was restricted and we couldn't leave the house with it, I think a lot of these. Um, well, I think we would have more personal interaction out in the community, where oh, I mean, people would probably stay home because they couldn't take their phone out, but. I think within the community, I think a lot of the barriers would be broken because we would have to interact with the different people versus just looking up and yupping. Yeah. Well, like I said, I went through Publix, and the lady in front of me who was buying groceries had her phone in her ear, and the cashier was just doing what she was doing, and she told her to put 49 The lady gave her 50 and she gave her a change. And she started taking my groceries, and I said, don't you hate that? And she knew exactly what yeah, I was talking about. that's rude. Exactly what I was talking that about. That is rude. Yeah. Don't answer your phone when you're doing something else. But that's what we perpetuate. We do it at, we do it at stop signs. Well, and, and I, you know, think about how before cell phones came into being, mm-hmm. especially the smartphones, nobody knew where you were. You know, you could be driving right. down the road, and they can't call you and say, where are you? You know, I need yeah. you to come here right now. Yeah. You had more privacy, really. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. they can track you on your phone. I you know. know. People are tracking their kids. They're tracking yeah. their spouses. They're yeah. tracking their family Well, yes, you can track your car with one of those little yeah. things. But, but, I mean, before, yeah. if you were not in a building that had a phone, nobody, nobody knew could, where you were. Yeah, nobody yeah. knew where you were. Nobody could get in touch with you. And it wasn't all that bad. No. You did walk yeah. away. and I mean, you know, when I started working in IT in the 80s, when we left the building, nobody knew where we were going. They right. couldn't call us and tell us to come back because there was an emergency at work. Too bad. Yeah, right. You were Unless out they knew what restaurant yeah. we were uh-huh. at. And, you know, if you were in traffic, forget about it. Yeah. The only good thing about, you know, I used to think, wouldn't it be great because I'm stuck in traffic 
if I had a phone in my car and I could just call <laughs> home and say, I'm sorry, I'm running late because I'm stuck in traffic, or if the car broke down. You and know. I, think, I think that was the idea. It was. Originally, they were car phones. Yeah, the little bag phones that you plug in. But um, no, they were installed in the car. Well, yeah, but but and then you got started. They first started. I I did communications when I was younger, building the towers and all of that. And the very first one was in a bag, and then it got installed into a car. And those were their mobile phones. They weren't. They weren't what we have today. It was a completely different, completely different system. And now uh, it's it's crazy. I remember when we were in um, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, actually in Scottsdale, Arizona, where uh, Arizona State University was, and they had one of those big block yeah. Motorola phones. Yep, I had one. And the college kids were like, "What is that?" And that was eighty six. Maybe 80, yeah, 1986. I got out of the Marine Corps in 86. It was probably 86, 87. And they were like, what is that? So technology has come crazy in the past 30 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, 30 years is a long time. But when everybody has their own personal communicator in their hand, and 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds are walking around with them as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen little kids as young as your granddaughter playing with them. She plays with it. She was yeah. watching YouTube videos of snakes yesterday. She, yeah, yeah, I was going to say she probably yeah. knows how to use it. Yeah. Dial 866-472-5792. Share your stories of either addiction, uh, I guess phone addiction now, right? Or um, food addiction, anything. We're is there open anything to you can't get addicted to? Anything that feels good, I guess, is addictive. Yeah. Or, or even if it feels sh- crappy. I guess because I was never, uh, I mean, it felt good for a minute, but then after that, it didn't feel too good. And I was addicted to heroin for many years. So there was no, there was no feel good after, after a certain point in time. But you're stuck with it. Yeah. It's the cross that you bear at that point. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. uh, And I guess I can understand and relate to someone, you know, like articles like this that say that there's a, a brain, uh, must change the brain chemistry yeah. somehow and maybe yeah. do make it different forever rather than oh well we probably have to read a little bit more to see if it made it different forever you know about the thing about my my drug of choice was um, it's not normal to go home and do heroin so abstinence makes sense it is normal to go home and have to eat. Right. So that is a totally different. Um, That'd be tough form addiction because. Yeah, because you, you still have to eat. And you wear it. Yeah. You wear it. Mm-hmm. So everyone sees it, everyone mocks you, picks on you, right. looks down. I mean, terribly. Well, terribly. I mean, viciously. Yeah. I know. You know even though, you know, most. Not all, but most um, people who have that type of problem are still functioning, you know, working, all of those things until they get to, you know, like a the, point where they, yeah, they're, when they, they're they so can't, big they yeah. can't do anything. But somebody has to be helping them 
to eat that much. Oh, exactly. There's no way that somebody is stuck in their bed at 700 pounds and, right. and, and, uh, and somebody is feeding, feeding them, them the food. Many thousands yeah. of but, calories But that's every day. probably an addiction in itself. Oh, it is, I'm you sure. You know what I mean? The, the person that's, that's willing yeah. to give him yeah. the... Yeah. Oh, well, it's a codependent, I, I know these I mean, terms, that's a parent chasing, that's a parent chasing the child and giving it. Is, because yeah. I'm quite sure that the, you know, the person with the problem is browbeating them until they do it. Yeah, or yeah, they're, they're so beaten that that's yeah, just their that's function. That's just what they do. Yeah. And yeah. and that, you know, that's the the coexisting condition I think of the the person or people who mm-hmm. help the addict. And you know, when we were talking earlier in the show about, you know, this guy, he's he's all upset because He's got to go 22 miles away, and I can just think of his mother. I would be thinking of everything I could possibly do for him to make him stay there. Let's buy him some cigarettes if that's what he needs. Let's get him some extra food. Let's get him some clothes. Anything that will make him let's stay. Let's cut that distance down a little bit by yeah, making sure we're there with him every day. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> make him. I'm going to give him something that's going to make him yeah. stop doing this. And and that's that's where... You know, the family member, the the codependent person yeah. comes in and doesn't help. And, and not, you know, I don't want to say you're hurting the addict because I don't know that that's true, but you are hurting yourself. Well, I think I think thinking it, yeah. that you can save yeah. somebody. You can't. No. And, and that's the that's the the um, the total misnomer of it, that you're thinking you're you're helping and you're actually hurting one yourself and two you're allowing the addict to engage in further uh, destruction right because yeah. you know if you hear all those stories about people hitting bottom but you know I think the family hits bottom too and so I've heard a lot of people say it was when they stopped that I had to yeah I mean I, I think that's where I started getting consciously aware when my, when, when my family had to turn their back on me but you know like I said I, I don't necessarily claim a bottom i claim a saturation point i got to a point where i just couldn't do it anymore now if you want to say if you want to have an argument for argument's sake it was a bottom but no i i was totally saturated i was like a sponge and it was just oozing out and i said you know the next thing is ringing me out yeah so and the family gets there too Dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Call in and share a little of your experience, strength, and hope. We'll be back in a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to Be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We got the power to change the world. It's 
your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to miracles in recovery to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org now back to this week's show Hey, welcome back to the third segment of tonight's show. And during the break, Alan said, I want to know what happened to that guy. Yeah, so, I do. I want, so, to make, I want to know if he made it or not. You may not want to know. Um, the next day in room 636 must have been the... The, um, the 22-mile-away facility. Yeah. Rivera put on jeans and a baseball jacket getting ready to leave. First, he had to meet with Alexander Hanna, a case manager from an insurance company, with a state contract to keep Medicaid costs down. Uh, Rivera was just one of Hannah's caseloads of 102. Wow. Wow. So that couldn't that couldn't be in the house. That had to be in a in one of the the maybe um, in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. He gave Rivera. Uh, let me see. Uh, Rivera's approve. Uh, yeah. He gave Rivera the name of the closest hospital and told him that he should be able to find work nearby. Hannah and Rivera exchange a fist bump. It was the first time, and it was time to head downstairs. The van was coming. I'm not feeling good today, Rivera said in the lobby. I'm getting chest pains. Williams watched as Rivera walked into the hospital emergency room instead of through the front door. Then he watched him slip away. Rivera would be seen hours later jaywalking across a busy street and disappearing into an alley. In the days to come, his cell phone went unanswered. So he didn't make it. Um, well, that time, no. Um, well, I mean, when you think about a caseworker with that many, that huge of a caseload, yeah, that that works against the whole system too. We've got to. Oh, have, it does. It we've does. We've got to have yeah. more people involved in in helping. Yeah. How can you? How, that that's like putting a teacher in a classroom of one hundred and two. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe ten. And even that, because, I mean, you're talking about people who who have a will of their own, and it's not yeah. going to be used in a good way. Well, you know, it's funny I, I, how I use that analogy, because when I was in high school, I didn't do well in the large class setting because of my inability to focus. Um, 
they put me in the resource room where it was a right. smaller class and where it was one on four. So you get more individualized attention. They can pay attention yeah. to your needs and how you need to learn. And that's how we get the cookie, cookie, <laughs> cookie cutter option of recovery where one person is showing 102 people the same way. Right. You, you, you can't it doesn't save work. everyone in that box. You couldn't save – you couldn't teach all four in – at once in the small environment I was in, but you had a better chance of having them understand it because you could take a second and and have a conversation with me about what it was that I didn't understand. When I was in a large class, the teacher didn't have enough time to do right. that. So, in, in when there's a when there's a counselor and they have um, 102 people that they have there's to no see. There's no way. There's they they no don't even get to personally know who they are. They're just no. a, they're just a person across the street. They're, uh, they're yeah. just checking off boxes for, yeah. for the government yeah. to provide the money, and it's not doing any good. I think we really do need to throw a lot more humans at this. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. There, there need to and I mean, there's plenty of funding. Where's it all going? Yeah, it's going where is into it the, going? Yeah. So, so you're right. We need to throw more bodies into the mix. Some yeah, knowledgeable more people. More knowledgeable people who understand the disease, understand yeah. how to work with people, understand that no two people are alike, no two addicts are alike. Yes, you guys do act the same way when you're getting <laughs> into your addiction. However, we're all different. Yeah. And. It it just and makes sense to me that you would you would work with smaller groups of people. Yeah, and we're all in different um, understandings of where we are at the moment. Well, and does the so. drug of choice make a difference? You know, there, there's yeah, I don't a, know. I, there's I, a huge I, debate yeah. about that as well. Are, are opioid addicts different? Do they have different genetic makeups? Do yeah. they? Do they I, I, grew, I grew up a with a bunch way. of heroin. I grew up with a bunch of heroin addicts, so we all acted the same, you know. So I don't know, like yeah. But do the alcoholics? Yeah. the alcoholics act a little differently. I think. Oh um, uh, well, yeah, they thought they partly were because then. their drug is legal, acceptable. Yeah, not or accepted. That, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. accepted and it's yeah. legal. But you know, the meth people are you know they get kind of psycho. Gone, and, yeah. And the cocaine people, I guess. They get kind of, you know, the cocaine they get the crack gone as well, yeah. act a different way. Um, yeah. So does the drug of choice make a difference? I've heard things like the opioid addicts were, you know, mistreated or abused or even sexually abused when they were young. That you know, you hear all kinds of things. Yeah, like but that. you can't you can't really base it on you can't you on the on the on the precursor, you can't um, judge the the uh, the abstinence piece, you know what I mean? Like, well, if if you put like if this gentleman had a hundred and two clients, seventy three of them were um, opioid abusers, right. twenty six were cocaine users, and thirty two were alcoholics. Uh, alcoholics. You're getting you're, you're having three different lumps of uh, motivation. So and and in all of those different circles, everybody's at a different point of understanding of where they are and what they're what they're accepting into their new world. So that's just way too many people it, it's for way for one too person because you're a number. You know that's almost like in the big cities when you're a um, uh, child and family services. 
Right. You don't if even that know. Was you know, like you don't the even, exact same thing. You don't even know the individual that's across the across the desk from you. Except, weren't you the guy that wore the the Yankee hat last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, you had a red jacket yeah. on. Yeah. What? Yeah, you don't even just, know the person. They're checking boxes, yeah. filling out their paperwork, and that's all they have time to do. And it's very sad because. And and they're the ones, sadly, that get that catch the brunt of why didn't you do anything. Right. Well, uh, what do you mean, How why didn't I? I do anything? I have 720 people that I see a week. What do you mean, how, how could I, for, for 10 minutes? Yeah, how, can, how, can, how is that going to help anybody? Yeah. It's not. No, it's so not. There, need, there needs to be a lot more one-on-one interaction, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, from everything I hear, sometimes just knowing that somebody cares can make that difference. Right, but the question is also, are there enough people out there to be able to... Uh, educate all of these individuals. I I know. Try to find an addiction psychiatrist in Mm -hmm. the area where we live. There's one. Oh. One. Now, how many addicts are there? Yeah, every 10 minutes he's seeing somebody else. So whatever his day is, Monday through Friday. Well, I expect he probably is, you know, the head, and then there's a whole bunch of mid-level and lower-level providers underneath who do right. most of the work uh-huh. and that's unfortunate well if they're trained is that in good. Fort no okeechobee oh okay all right very uh, i was surprised because to me if you wanted to do something even if you were just in it to make money that would be the place to that's the place to be right now because there are so many particularly with the opioid problem there are just so many people yeah that are that are stuck in this disease you know, I know hmm. there are a lot of meth people too. They don't get as much attention, but it's out there in a big way. Yeah, and you know, sadly, I, 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 I um, they're probably the ones that, and and not taking away from it from from an opioid uh, addict. When they when when an opioid addict, when I got clean, I had a little bit of common sense reality of. Of where I was and where I, where this ride was going to take me, I think with anything, any other substance like cocaine, or it does so much psychological damage right. as well. I mean, granted, there's people out there that do psychological damage that are opioid. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, no, but box I, I think everybody. the brain damage that happens yeah, from that is exactly is pretty, exactly. I mean, and when the you chemicals come out of it, you that go even, into yeah. it are horrible, mm-hmm. right? And the brain damage that that occurs and you know and i've read a lot in a lot of the mom forums because there are a lot of people who are hooked on meth out there right now more so i think now because it was it's one is cheaper and two it's you can make it in your backyard yeah, yeah. In, in your car we had a roll meth lab here yeah yeah but you know it was always thought of as the redneck disease and it's yeah. not anymore it's it's everywhere too you know and it's and funny it, it's there was horrific. one when i was on the when i was on the fire department um they showed that we did training on um, the propane cylinders. Yeah. They make it with that somehow. Yeah. And what it does is it, it, it dents and disfigures the cylinder. So if you go up to a house and you see a um, propane cylinders outside and they're yeah. a little bit out of normal. It's a meth house. Then it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good. A meth lab. Yeah, and and. I mean, you, you could only know by going in that the house is a disaster, but oh, yeah. that's a good a good telltale sign on the outside. Wow. Yeah. I just, I, it boggles the mind. It 
truly boggles the mind. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I... but but that you know, they truly become psychotic. Most opioid addicts that I know don't get violent. I mean, I could be wrong, but yeah, no, you could be wrong because I know some that were intensely violent when they were getting sick. Well, but when they're high, they're not violent. But the people who are taking meth are. They get very psychotic. They get violent. Yeah, yeah, right. And so do people who are drinking. You know, there's a lot of violence that that goes, a lot of violence that goes along with that, along with terrible decision-making and all the other things. (laughs) I think terrible decision-making, that's a checkup with everyone. Um, because I know that I, I raised my hand there, you know, terrible decision making. I was, I, my life was a terrible decision at that point. But you know, when you were getting high and you were high, you were probably not feeling like going out and beating someone up. Whereas some of the no, other drugs no. make you feel that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's scary too. Yeah. I guess that's the reality of, of, um, the drug that you choose to take though, you know, um, for me, I, I'm grateful that I, I was thinking the other day, would I would I give up any anything? I, I had to live the life that I had to live. Right. I had to live every single day um, in turmoil to be where I am here. If if I would have you know not used, I might have had a I don't say better. I would have had a different life. Yeah. But I might not have the awarenesses that I have today. Oh, I might I be the biggest jerk out there. I don't think you, you would. Know? You wouldn't have, the, you know, as we've talked before, the tools mm-hmm. to be able to take a step back and right. look at your behavior and say, is this, you know, what I really want to do? Right. Is this how I want to interact with this person? Is this how I want to handle this job? Mm-hmm. Is this, you know, is this what I want to do? No, because I I probably would have been one of the ones looking down my nose saying, look at that, look at that, right. you know, not even knowing that I was one bad decision away from being me. Right. You know, and yeah. I'm grateful today that I, I, I'm grateful today that I made that bad decision and I'm grateful today that I put my family through what I put them through because I don't think we would be who we all are if we didn't all walk the path that we walked. Right. If if something in the early '80s or whenever all of this madness started was just a little different, we wouldn't be who we are today. You know, one, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you. No, that's true. You know, so you know, I'm grateful today that I, that I walked the path that I walked. So, uh, what I guess what I'm saying is 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 you know, um, love your act. Don't don't enable them. Yeah, don't love your but addict lo- to death, but yeah. love your addict. <laughs> there you go. Don't love them to death, but love them and protect love them. Love them where and, they are. And know that they're not intentionally, I'm, I don't want to make an excuse for anybody. Just love your addict. We're, uh, we're almost out of time. So if you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, please send me an email at ray at miraclesandrecovery.org. We'll send you an information packet on how to and schedule a time and um then you can share uh what you bring to the recovery community and it could be anything i mean cigarettes sex alcohol drugs anything that you anything that you do we've had a, a wide array of of guests and i think i'd like to maybe start getting back to that to be able to ask people questions about how and who and why and all of that stuff but 
we have about 30 seconds left, so I gave you just a good night, Ellen. Well, thank you very much. Uh, if anyone out there needs needs assistance, please let us know. Thank you for listening. And with Miracles in Recovery, hope is in your corner. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.